This is a production of KMmedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... Today's show, we get to talk to a award-winning author. He's an Amazon number one bestseller. He's got a great book out, and uh, it is... Uh, um, well, first of all, his name is Cam... Uh, Cam Majd, Majd, Majd. And uh, Eric, first of all, how are you, sir? Hey, good afternoon. Happy Wednesday. I'm doing well. It is a happy Wednesday. How's, how's, uh, it's four o'clock in the afternoon in the city. How's traffic going and everything, any major issues that anybody needs to know about? Just the usual tough afternoon commute uh, here. But, I mean, the the good thing is that, you know, it's no longer raining. So uh, probably less accidents this afternoon than uh, we had this morning. But uh, uh, I was not available. Was was there a lot of trouble this morning? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime it rains (laughs) after a long time of not having rain, you're going to have a bunch of people skidding into each other. And this morning was no different. But uh, you know, we've got sunshine out our window right now, so I'm sure people are all right. I want to remind everybody of that very issue, which is when it hasn't been raining for a while, oil gets on the road and it stays there until it gets washed off. And in that process, a lot of times it can get rather slippery. So do what a good bus driver does and and give the person in front of you lots of distance. Uh, two to three seconds is is optimal. Uh, even four seconds would be better uh, so that you can stay away from the, the the accidents and get to work so that you don't have to worry about such things. And also, I also heard a horrible tragedy today, Eric, and we've talked about it on the show before, but it bears repeating. This is summertime. This is August. Um, a lady, um, and I don't know how she did this, but uh, she had her 18-month-old in the... Um, car seat in the back and she apparently missed the daycare and went to work uh was at work eight hours and then she came back to find that her baby or her granddaughter had deceased so i just want to make sure that everybody knows remember where your children are at all times and your dogs and and everybody so that uh, uh you don't just forget that somebody's in your back seat and doesn't hurt to double check that back seat Boy, I tell you what, it's it, those are tragedies that are totally avoidable, and uh, I hope everybody takes it to heart, especially with your pets and stuff. If it's really hot outside and you're planning on going someplace for a little while, just stay, leave the pet home. Uh, they're more comfortable there anyway. Um, so anyway, that's my public service announcement for today. Um, so and, and anything else going on, Eric? I, you know, another beautiful week here in the Pacific Northwest. So um, hopefully people are enjoying the their summer. The uh, you know, it, it definitely looks like we're going to be up close to the 80s for uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. So and then getting warmer again next week. So just heed that message. Just be, take care of your um, humans and animals that are around you and, and make sure you don't forget anybody in the backseat of a car. That's just tragic. Um, but in any event, we've got a great guest for you today. He's written the book High Wire, which is a number one Amazon bestseller. He is uh, a pilot 
who has was with American Airlines for 35 years. You know, I, <laughs> I thought, wow, 35 years is a long time. But that was only 1985. No, not even that. 1987, 1988. And so I was thinking to myself, I must be getting old if I can remember 1988 very well. And uh, and he was flying he was flying jets on behalf of American Airlines. And his name is Cam. So Cam, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. A um, lot of information there, and uh, it's really sad to hear about uh, you know the story that you had about the. The grandma and the and the grandkid in the back. Jeez, I really, I you know, I, I I hesitate to report such things, but I think that if if it can help somebody else not do that or not forget their child in the back seat, or their dog, or their cat, or or an animal, and it's eighty degrees outside and and they are in the car for a long period of time, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. So, uh, if we can help somebody not do that, we'll do, I'll do that all day long. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good for you. And I I appreciate you coming on the show, sir. Uh, first of all, I wanted to ask you: you were a pilot for American Airlines for. 35 years what was it like what were the jets like in the 1980s versus what they are like today i know you finished as a boeing 777 captain um with with american but how different is it from the 80s to now uh very different uh to begin with aircraft had mostly uh three seats three pilots you know and one of them was a, a flight engineer with a whole panel that whole seat and the panel is gone, everything replaced by you know automation and computers, which is one of the things that led me to write about this book. You know, we are so automated. Uh, but beyond that, uh, it's just, just changed tremendously. You know, every time there is an event that occurs, uh, you know, 9-11 uh, you know, changed aviation forever. You know, COVID changed aviation forever. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things that have happened, whether it was, you know, an economic issue or whether it was, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, some kind of a, you know, medical thing here like SARS we had. That was, you know, a, a pretty big deal 20 or so years ago. Uh, so those have changed things quite a bit. But again, just just uh, the, the world has changed. You know, we have twice the number of airplanes in the sky. You know, we fly, you know, twice as many planes, twice as close. You know, we used to have separation of 2,000 feet between aircraft. Now it's only 1,000 feet. But it's, you know, multiples of times safer uh, today than it was back then. So lots and lots of changes, but uh, almost all of them for the good. And uh, it has made aviation so much better than it was and so much safer than it was. You know, and uh, just uh, great to be a witness to that. You know, I got to ask you, because I don't know whether it is that media is reporting it more or are there more um, disputes on airplane and aircraft that cause you know people that uh, are I, losing their minds would be one way of putting it, I suppose, but yeah. that are having difficulties with following the rules on the aircraft. Is that more prevalent now after COVID and during COVID than it was before, or is it just an imagination? Uh, so it's... It's a little bit of both. Uh, so it is, you know, it is reported more because everybody has a cell phone, you know, and you can grab it. And then, in, you know, 15 minutes later, whether you're in the air or on the ground, this thing is online somewhere. Uh, but it is also a more difficult environment. You know, the uh, 
COVID, during COVID, you would think that, you know, something as, as basic as wear a mask or put on a mask or leave the mask on, you know, is something and a message that people get. Uh, but with the polarization of the nation, with all that was going on, I mean, you know, it, it became a major issue. And, and it's still going on. And, I, you know, and I don't know what if you're noticing any of this. I have noticed some, you know, just just seems like people are a little bit more short tempered to me. It just seems like, you know, things that were, you know, we're seeing a lot more peace now. You know, it, it's not nearly as much to, to me, but that is just a personal observation. But to answer your question, um, it, it, there is there is more of it, and it is being reported more frequently because every, anybody can report it. Anybody grabs something and put it on YouTube, and it becomes news. Whereas before, thirty years ago, I mean, there was no such thing. Yeah, and a lot of people get out their cell phone and they start taking movies of of acts like that and putting them on YouTube because they want them to go viral, and then the, hopefully they can monetize them and that kind of stuff. There's there's some of that going on too. I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. And and just aviation itself, you know, you, you look at the the way aviation was, you know, in the '60s and the '50s, you know, people dressed and you know completely dressed. It was as if you're going to a you know fancy party. You know, it was it was a privilege to be able to fly. Now, you know, it's it's cheaper than driving. It's you know faster, and you know just the number of airplanes. I mean, just the number of airplanes that we have in the sky, the number of people that travel. You know, there's so much more, and you want to get from point A to point B, with all of the restrictions that are out there, and all these millions of parts that have to work to get you there. You know, and if and if you're late or if something happens, I mean, just people just get get short tempered and and forget how complex this process is, you know, and um, I think that obviously has a lot to do with it too. Well, thankfully, the uh, it seems like the systems are safer now because we don't hear about, I remember in the, in the 70s and 80s that there were lots of uh, uh, crashes and, and planes going down and stuff, and you don't hear about it as much anymore. So is that because planes are safer now? Everything is safer. Planes are safer, even though they have fewer engines. Pilots are safer, even though there is one less pilot in the cockpit. Uh, the uh, training is, is safer. The air traffic control is safer. Uh, and it's a lot of it is through, you know, automation and computerization. And, uh, you know, and, and so the environment is just, and, and the, the training is it's just, it's so thorough. You know, um, that it's it's difficult, you know, I mean, a, a pilot goes inside in, in training. First of all, you have to have, you know, all these uh, prerequisites before you can even interview with an airline, you know, an airline tra uh, transport pilot license, which is, you know, the highest license you can get, you know, after, you know, several other licenses, uh, 1,500 hours of flight time, et cetera. But once you get all of that, you still go in there, and if they hire you, then you're going to go through, you know, six or seven weeks of initial training, you know, where you're in the ground and the simulators and in doing all the stuff that you have to do. So when you look at all of that, and the same thing applies to, to air traffic controllers, the systems that they have in place, I alluded to that a little bit earlier where, uh, you know, there was 2,000 feet of vertical separation between airplanes. If I'm going from here to New York, somebody's coming from New York to L.A., they have to have 2,000 feet of separation between us. Now it's 1,000 feet. Uh, so we are, there's a lot more, you know, airplanes in the sky, but again, through automation and through, uh, you know, uh, systems and development and training, you know, all of this has become so much safer than it was. There were law firms, uh, that were in business primarily, 
you know, 30 years ago, law firms that just did, you know, airline crashes. Sure. They're, they're all out of business. You know, they all switched to something else uh, because there's there was just no no crashes, thankfully, you know, that, that are occurring. So, uh, you know, it's by far a, a far safer environment. But again, you know, that creates a massive dependence on automation and, and on computers, you know, which are, again, again, wonderfully safe. But computers only understand, um, you know, what you, they're programmed to do. The computer doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. It just knows what it's programmed to do. And, uh, and in my world, you know, my fictional world that I created, I decided, you know, what if a computer uh, gets the wrong information? What if it thinks it's doing the right thing while it is not doing the right thing? And it doesn't know the difference. And unfortunately, some of that did happen in uh, the the United the 737, not the United, the uh, Boeing 737 uh, crashes that occurred, uh, the Maxes, where yeah. you know the MCAS system was telling the pilots you're stalling and push the nose down. Pilots are trying to pull it up, uh, but the automation wins. And unfortunately, tragically, lives were lost. In, in indeed, and that's that's really what the your book High Wire is about is about um, automation on the airplanes and and how a virus can infect the uh, the the whole thing and make massive changes and stuff. Is that is and it's a uh, award winning. Uh, it's an Edgar um, Award nominated. Um, you are an author um, for Edge of Your Seat thrillers. Is that how you would describe High Wire? Uh, Edge of Your Seat Thrill, that sounds good to me. Uh, yes, but it was nominated by the Edgars, uh, you know, for the best novel. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's done tremendous. I'm very fortunate and very lucky to, to to have had that honor. It's a pretty big honor, especially for, at the time, you know, first-time author. Uh, and so, yes, the book is, is about automation and computer systems. And, um, uh, you know, essentially, like I said, we are, we are so automated. I picked one of the, the most automated uh, systems in the aircraft, which is the flight controls. Uh, you know, in, the, in the, all the Bo uh, new airplanes that are coming out, Boeing or Airbus planes, they're all use the fly-by-wire system, which is complete automation. You still have a yoke. You still pull it, push it, you know, turn it like you would anything else. But really, all you're doing is typing on a keyboard. Uh, even the machine that that makes creates a feel for you, makes you feel as if you're turning something. Uh, is that that feel is artificial? It's created to make you feel you're, like you're doing something, whereas all you're doing is typing on a computer. So in my world, I said, you know, these computers are, are infallible. They don't they don't malfunction, and they have backups to the backups. So you know, it, it really is very very safe. But what if a computer gets the wrong information? What if it's told that this is right when it's not right, and it doesn't know the difference? And that's what created the story. And um, you know, I, I brought in a couple of engineers from Airbus and Boeing, part of my research. And, uh, and I mean, we all understand and realize that this is fiction and this is not, you know, uh, nonfiction. It's not real life events. Uh, but they both said, you know, um, if I were you, I would send copies of the book to Boeing and Airbus's security departments. You know, just let them know what you're doing, which I did. I <laughs> Right away, FedEx, two copies there. <laughs> Guys, I'm writing this just, just so you know. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because the environment around technology is growing so fast with IE or IA and and the different different aspects to it that and it's easier. Well, let me ask you: in your book, um, you talk about um, a virus 
uh, affecting the computer. Is that a real thing? Can that happen? Well, again, you know, it's it's a it's a work of fiction. You know, uh, can it happen? There are computers out there, and there are you know virus makers. You 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 know you're affected by your computer and all the antivirus stuff that you have on yours every day. Can it potentially happen? You know, under some very difficult circumstances, yes. In my world, this was not a you know a terrorist event. This was a you know domestic question of you know uh, corporate greed came into the picture. Uh, you know, could could somebody out there you know come in and, and you know ISIS come in and plant a virus on, a, on an airplane? Absolutely not. Uh, but I created the environment where you know this this was possible. And that kind of was the you know part of the fun. Oh, exactly. And by the way, you grew up in Iran and um or iran and you um lived in india great britain the united states um you've lived all over the place you and you went to high school in arlington texas tell us a little bit about your backstory how did you how did you go from iran to texas <laughs> uh the, the long way <laughs> it's um, a long was- way <laughs> with three brothers, uh, lived there, you know, lived in Iran for the first 13 years of my life. And then uh, that point in 1970, my father grabbed uh, me and two of my brothers, one older, one younger, and just took us out there, took us to India. It was looking for a boarding school. It was a big family, and he just wanted to cut down the size. So, you know, um, and and so, and he did. And then we went out there, and he found a place. And, uh, you know, we, we stayed there. We stayed in the country for about four years. Uh, you know, that's where I learned English. That's, you know, and, and some Hindi at the time I was speaking, not anymore. Um, and the goal was always to come to the United States, of course, but it was not easy to do. Uh, and so, you know, a few years later, uh, managed to go to England, United Kingdom. Got there in 1974. Um, you know, and lived there for about a year and kept applying for a visa, possibility to come to the U.S. And finally, in December of that year, we got got a chance to come here. By then, I was 17 and a half years old. Last few months of high school left. Ended up finishing that in Arlington, Texas, Arlington High. And, uh, and then somewhere along the line, you know, aviation took over. Uh, I ended up working at TGI Fridays when there was only one Fridays on uh, Green, Greenville Avenue in Dallas as a waiter and then eventually a bartender. A fellow bartender got his license, pilot's license, asked me if I wanted to go up in the air. I said, heck yeah, and went in there and fell in love with it. And um, I said, this is what I want to do, and used tip money to learn and just kind of followed from there. So when you were in Iran, now th- that goes back a ways. Was that when the Shah was in power? It's right. We left there about ten years before the before the Shah left, before the revolution, and um, yeah, for you know, from my perspective, it was just normal the way you know life was. Yeah, I didn't know any different, and um, yeah, it was. So it was. Uh, I was here actually in, in California, in Los Angeles, when all of that occurred, and I think it was seventy nine or eighty something yeah, like that. Right in there, and uh, yeah. So so was now the Shah was a i don't want to say puppet but he was kind of installed or supported by the united states at the time um is is that right that's correct and i think that's that's a big part of the uh the the animosity between the countries you know uh, from their point of view anyhow um i'm not much of a historian but what i do know is that uh, you know after world war one I, I think it was the british 
that installed the Shah's father in there, in, in, in power, and then, uh, you know, World War II came and went, uh, you know, and then uh, they wanted, you know, a fresh new face, and they brought his son, and he was a very young man, they put him in power, and I think it was the early 60s um, when there was a revolt, a public revolt, and the Shah left, and they had an election, they had, you know, uh, had a prime minister, uh, and then through a you know military coup that was coordinated by, I believe it was um, the, the CIA and Richard Nixon, they went in and, and you know overthrew that government and brought the Shah back. And I think that led to, you know, uh, all of the other things that we have seen. And a lot of animosity between the two countries because we were, they felt like we were messing around with their internal politics, and they didn't. A lot of people didn't want to see the Shah come back um and stuff like that so anyway that was a long time ago i was just kind of curious because i'm a bit of a history buff well i like history i can't call myself a history buff but uh um but in any event so um but you've been so you've been all over the place where where is your now you're in southern california now is that your favorite place to be living it is i have uh, traveled to i don't know you know 100 countries literally you know thousands of cities um and there is no place like like southern california for me i know there are people that love it or hate it you know and there is a lot of reason for both uh but i fall into the into the uh, former category i just it's you know I, I noticed you guys were talking about the weather before the program started you know uh, gosh i mean beautiful weather you know the mountains are right here the ocean is right next to them uh, you know, you want to go ski, you're two hours away. You want to go surf, you're, you know, 30 minutes away. Um, so for me, that that out, outstrips the traffic and uh, other things that come up. So, yes, this is absolutely home. Well, I'm going to, if I can take that clip and, and publicize it, because we're real happy when Californians stay in California. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have heard that. You, you're in Washington, right? I, I am, yes, sir. <laughs> Yeah, apparently there's a lot of rowdy Californians that go there and they mess up real estate prices in all the states. They, um, yes, they do, sir. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it used yeah. to be that you could buy, you know, a, a, a house, that, but it's, you know, it, when you sell a house for what, I don't know, 1.5 or $2 million down there, and you can pick up a nicer house here for 750, uh, why not move up here? The weather's nice and stuff like that. But, but stay in California if I, if, I can give that <laughs> well you don't have to worry about me i love washington i love going through there uh gosh you know of course the boeing plant is right there so uh, you know there's uh, you have a beautiful beautiful place but as far as long term you don't have to worry about this southern california <laughs> well good and uh that's that that's that's awesome but and by the way now your last airplane that you flew for on it has a job was a 777 did you have to take uh uh, classes and learn how to fly each type of aircraft um, when you went to a different one, or were you always no that wasn't around then. So what did you fly first then? Uh, so yes, at, uh, uh, it's an FAA regulation now that that you can only fly one kind of airplane uh, under normal circumstances. There may be some exceptions to that. Uh, so as a you know American Airlines uh, has many many different types of airplanes and each plane you know some of the planes have you know uh, several different variations if you fly for Southwest you don't ever have to worry about anything other than 737 uh, 
that's what you're going to fly the day you get hired and that's going to you know going to fly the day you retire and that's not the way it is with you know, the larger airlines the the major airlines um of course southwest is also a major but the the, the bigger the international airlines i guess and american is one of those so uh, the way the program is you have an initial uh, training session is almost two months long uh, where they teach you all about the company and they teach you about the uh, the planes and uh, you know the flight and, and uh, you know everything else that you need to know and then after that every time you want to change your uh, uh, planes then you have at least a, about a 30-day uh, school that you got to go to two weeks of ground school uh, two weeks of simulator and um, then then you're ready to go and that was the same for for triple seven and then you could be a first officer sitting in the right seat of a triple seven. That's a month school. And then you upgrade to a captain. That's a left seat. That's another month school. So even though you know the systems, you know the airline, you still got to go through the entire thing. I'm just, I'm just curious. Um, are there guys that can that make it to the first seat or excuse me, the second seat, and but they don't quite have what it takes to get to the captaincy? Uh, and so they end up being a first officer for like ever or is or is it pretty easy to go from one to the other uh it's not easy and uh, are there uh, almost never uh, there are cases where you cannot upgrade uh but i'm sure there are very very rare cases where that happens and if that happens they'll, they'll find a way to accommodate that um but there, you know, a lot of people they just choose to stay in that right seat. Some people just choose to never upgrade because airline business is a game of seniority. It's all about seniority. Yeah. You know, I can be a very senior co-pilot or I can be a very junior captain. You know, as a senior co-pilot, I get to fly. You know, when I want to fly, where I want to fly. Uh, you know, I'm, I want Christmas off. I want to be home for dinner. I want to whatever. I'm able to do. Whereas as a junior captain, all those options are taken away from you. They'll tell you where you'll fly out of, or when, or you know how. So if you ever want to know who you know who are the junior guys, they're the ones doing the all-nighters. They're the ones that are you know working on Christmas and Thanksgiving, you know. Uh, and and that's what you know what happens. So some people, you know, it's it's purely a lifestyle choice, and some people choose to uh, live you know that way. And thank God for that because you know there's this plenty of everything to go around for everybody. And if somebody likes the all-nighter, well, then that means somebody else who doesn't like it, they don't have to fly it, you know, uh, works exactly. out pretty good. Now I heard, I heard that they now have a, that there's a shortage of pilots. Is that a real thing? Yeah, absolutely. Now they've talked about a shortage of pilots for 40 years and it's never happened, but it's very much happening now. And then the whole thing really stems from uh, 1978, uh, you know, uh, President Carter, uh, deregulated the airline industry. That means that uh, for the first time, the airlines could, uh, you know, fly where they wanted to, charge what they wanted to. None of that was possible before that. So it was a great thing, deregulations, for a lot of airlines uh, who expanded. And it was not a great thing for some other great airlines like Eastern and Pan Am and Braniff that went out of business. Uh, but for the airlines who expanded, they went into a massive expansion in the 1980s. From 1984 through 1990, they hired double, triple the size American Airlines, United, um, Delta, uh, Southwest, etc. So they all hired at the same time. And with a mandatory pilot retirement age of 65, now they all have to retire at the same time. So, oh, yeah. That is a problem. So, 
<clears throat> yeah, so pilots are not hired, you know, in a, you know, a 90 plus percent of pilots are hired between a very, uh, you know, thin, uh, you know, margin of, of, of ages, somewhere around 20, you know, nine years old to maybe 35. That's where 95% of them are hired. And so when they're all hired, you know, in 1984 to 1990, uh, you know, and they're all hitting 65 about the same time. And the law is, it's a federal law, and you can hire, uh, you, you can fly on your 64th and, you know, you, you can fly till the, the, the night before, the midnight before your birthday. And the minute that midnight is, no matter where you are, you could be on a trip, you could be overseas, you could be wherever. You're no longer qualified to fly over the United States. And cool. uh, so, so, you know. so if you if you are like, uh, I'll say you're in um, uh, Paris or, or London and you're scheduled to fly and it's your birthday and your birthday hits, then they have to put you in a, in a seat as a passenger and put another pilot in there. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. You are not allowed to touch the controls. You cannot fly. Now, they know that in advance, so they try not to schedule people that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, but then that does happen. You know, I, I had a guy that, uh, you know, wanted, uh, you know, uh, happened. I was lucky enough to fly on his last flight with him. And uh, we did a leg. We went to Honolulu. And, uh, you know, and, and, and he retired in Honolulu. So they had to find somebody there to come and bring the airplane back. Uh, because the next day he couldn't fly. So it does happen. Uh, not often, but it happens. Well, very, very nice. By the way, we're talking with Cam Majd, and if you want to go to his website, which is cammajd.com, it is K-A-M-M-A-J-D.com. He's an author. Um, like we've been talking about flying for 35, 40 years. Um, he's an award winner, an award-winning author, and we're going to talk about his book when we come back and the the process that he uses to write a book and, and how did he go from being a high-flying pilot to being a <laughs> uh, author sitting on the ground writing a book. So, so Cam, if you wait right there, we'll be right back in about two minutes. You're listening to Positive Talk Radio on KKNW. Hey, PTR loyal listener. First, thanks for being in my dream. And second, I have a new concept in business to share with you. It's called socialpreneurship. So what's that? Well, it's the idea that any company designates all profits beyond expenses to be awarded to a local or international charity or project which is working to achieve good in the world. KM Media is such a company. We believe that it's important for us to give back whenever possible and to make great things happen. So I hope you'll join us in creating this new business model that will positively impact all of us. In the next few weeks, we will lay out the plan and begin our fundraising efforts. So stay tuned for more details right here on Positive Talk Radio. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. Hey, thanks for listening to Positive Talk Radio. Did you know that we're also a media production company? Well, surprise, we are. 
We can create all kinds of audio video products to fill any need. Please visit kmmedia.pro backslash our dash store for a complete list of products and services. In addition, do you need a great voice to add to your own website or any other project? I know that we can add depth and quality to your work. I've been told more times than I can count by many professionals in the business that my voice adds to the quality of the presentation. So let me create something for you. Please contact me at Kevin at KMmedia.pro and let's create something great. And welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. It's a Wednesday afternoon. I hope everybody's enjoying sitting in traffic. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's one, one of those things. We're talking with uh, Cam Mods, and he is the author of Highwire. And I'm always curious, Cam, because I talk to a lot of um, authors and singers and songwriters and screenwriters and and folks and every one of them every one of you guys seems to have a different process by which you do your work what is your process like oh gosh i wish i had a process <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> that might be handy someday um you know uh for a book it's always the idea is is first you know what do you want to write about uh, they say write about what you know, and uh, and which is a wonderful you know uh, idea. But it's you know you can't always write about what you what you know. I want to write about other things, and so getting the idea and then researching that idea is always you know a big 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 part of what I need to do. Even though aviation and IWR is generally about aviation, but there's a lot of technology and there are a lot of things that were beyond uh, really uh, my comprehension. So it took a lot of research to be able to get to that point. So having the idea is, is, is a big part. And then once you have the idea, for me anyhow, uh, you know, what, what voice do you want to use? Who do you want, you know, to be able to tell the story? You know, is it a man? Is it a woman? You know, what, you know and that was one of the things that I, I had to struggle with a little bit, you know, out there. And then beyond that is uh, really I generally just, just, you know, having an outline, you know, in the, in the several books that I've written, that's kind of the process that I've used. You know, having an outline, um, you know, that sort of gives you an idea. But, you know, you always want to let the characters take the book where it, where it needs to go. So I don't, I'm not always, you know, trying to put things in an outline. But knowing kind of the direction I want it to go, that, that has helped. And generally knowing how I want it to end, that has helped. And so those are things that I use, you know, uh, methods that I have used uh, and it works uh, for me anyhow it has worked uh, but I've you know gosh there's a lot of really great authors out there that can tell people what they have used you know the discipline is a big part of it I know that you know if you can manage to be able to write x number of hours every day regardless of you know rain or shine and then then you're way ahead of the game um, it's one of the areas where I'm, I'm, I'm lacking a little bit of discipline in but other than that uh, that's the direction I would be going. Uh, nah, you you worked hard for 35, 40 years, and and now you get a chance to kind of, this is kind of like your passion that you are now doing in, I'm assuming you're retired from flying. And uh, go ahead. I, I am. I retired a year ago. And, um, you know, and, and like everybody says, you know, uh, you miss some of it. You don't miss the rest of it. I miss 15% of it. I miss the takeoffs and the landings and some of the layovers, some of the guys. Um, but man, I don't miss, you know, 
eight time zones or 12 time zones, you know, or not being, you know, trying to sleep in a bunk bed, you know, at 35,000 feet, you know, or you eat when you're tired and you sleep when you're hungry, you know, it's just, uh, it's a little bit topsy-turvy, but yes, I, I am retired as of now. You know, I, I got to ask you because I used to travel for a living. I was a chicken salesman. I'll bet you you're the only, I'm the only one of those <laughs> you ever met. And, uh, and we, I would fly all the time. One of the places that I went to a lot was John Wayne. And the way John Wayne works is the runways are a little bit shorter and it goes over um, um, residential districts very soon. So they want the jets to get up and away as quickly as they can. So I was just kind of curious as I was sitting there uh, getting ready to take off on uh, at John Wayne and they, they t- take off like a gun and they, and they really um, um, accelerate and they go up high fast. Um, is that more fun to do that than it is to just take off? I know John Wayne Airport very well. I, I got about eight of my licenses there. Oh. Uh, so runway one nine left, a little bit of runway. That's just for, uh, you know, air, airplanes that are coming in, uh, you know, small planes. And then one nine right, that was the, you know, the big planes. And it's, I think it was only about 6,000 feet. And the other side of it is a freeway. Uh, yeah. So you're right. So you start off with absolute maximum power and, you know, you... Uh, you know, you, you treat the airplane, even though it's light, you treat it as if it's very heavy. In other words, use the, the maximum power available for that day. And you, you lift the nose up, you take it up uh, quite a bit more than normal. And you get to, I think, what it was, 1,500 feet or something like that, which you can get to by the time you just get to the other side, the golf course. And uh, then you lower the nose, you know, and then you, the power comes way back. Uh, so that the sound, the noise is not affected. Now, you know, LAX, you don't have that problem because you're, you know, you're taking off over the, uh, you know, over the water. Right. Uh, but generally, real estate is is not that expensive around airports for, you know, sound being one of the reasons. Uh, you know, but the John Wayne Airport is is a different beast. I mean, it's got some very expensive real estate on the other end of it. You know, so they're very, you know, very protective, very aware you know, of uh, noise situations and, and so on. And um, is it more fun? Uh, it is different. Downman Airport requires, you know, an American anyhow, requires some additional training uh, just because of the length of the runway. 6,000 feet is just not that long. It's plenty long and safe, uh, but, you know, LAX, 10,000 feet, 11,000 feet, you know, uh, Chicago, New York, Kennedy, all of those places. Uh, it, it is different and, and different is nice sometimes. Did you fly into uh, San Francisco very much? Uh, I did, not often. I usually just did coast to coast or long hauls, but I've been there, you know, 30 or 50 times. I was on a plane one time and it was a windy day. And of course, the uh, airport is right there on the water. And it was a windy day and there was a crosswind going. The The pilot actually got applause as we landed safely did you did that ever happen for you where where the uh, flight attendant came up and said hey they gave you a great big cheer because you landed without killing anybody uh yes so uh, <laughs> if, you, if you fly long enough uh you know uh, all kinds of things will happen and then certainly uh an applause obviously you know connected to relief uh, relief could be you know if it's windy relief could be if there's an emergency relief could be cause of celebration 
Um, so we've had, I've had all of it, you know, 44 years in cockpits, 35 with American, something's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to see some of this happen. And I've had all, all of them. We've had emergencies where we landed, uh, you know, and it was such relief to everyone. We've had, you know, uh, bouncing around days where, you know, like you said, crosswinds or just lots of wind and people were very happy to get down. And we've had more than one event where, um, something wonderful just happened to occur. And then the whole world went to applause. And I can tell you that if you want to take another minute. Sure. Um, you know, halfway to Hawaii, um, we get a call that you have passengers such and such and seat such and such. So, yes, we do. Apparently, uh, you know, we looked it up and they said, well, uh, you need to go back and you need to tell her that they found her son. And the story is that we were in Hawaii and um, uh, this seminary student who happened to you know, be vacationing there, get on a, got on a, a kayak and started to drift away from land. And he had just enough uh, cell power to be able to make one phone call, you know, to 911 and, and said that he's drifting away. So, you know, and, and they lost touch with him. They send out search and rescue uh, for a day, two days, three days. And on the fourth day, uh, they chose to uh, change that from search and rescue to, you know, search and, and retrieve, essentially assuming that you know, he's gone. And uh, I think it was the fourth day or the fifth day. And we were taking the family out there with us to essentially, you know, do their goodbyes, the memorial or some version of that. And they said, uh, you know, he, he, you got to tell them they found her son and, and he was alive. You know, and turned out on the fourth day or fifth day or whatever it was, you know, a C-130 out there saw something. Uh, they came down, they circled, they found him, they threw in some rafts. And, you know, send out help and then brought him in. He was exhausted. He was, you know, uh, no food or drinks for, you know, a number of days in that sun in a little kayak. And so we brought the flight attendants in to, to tell him that. And you know, one flight attendant, of course, another one came in and they were fighting each other on who gets to do tell her. <laughs> you know, elbowing <laughs> you know, each other, getting out of the cockpit. And five minutes later go by, not even two minutes later go by, and we can just hear an explosion of, of, of cheers and just, you know, of course it was, you know, champagne for everybody. And if that's out, then whatever cocktail we have for everybody is free. And um, it was, truly was, was, was a moment of celebration. That's one of the things that sticks out because it was, it was so good. You don't always get to often get to, you know, deliver things that are that good. And that night you go in, we were in the hotel and, and looking at the, you know, the news and sure as heck, there was the guy, you know, he's all gaunt and, uh, you know, uh, and, and everything that, that's associated with being, you know, in the sun for four or five days alone. And um, boy, you know, he was happy. We were happy. Good day. Yes. And yes, indeed. That's a, that's a wonderful human interest story. You should write a book about your experiences since you did it for, you know, 40 years, uh, your experiences on, on the, uh, on the, the, the plane. Cause you know, those riptides in Florida I've, or in um, Hawaii, I've experienced those. And if you get into one sometimes, especially in a kayak or something, it's impossible to get out. And you end up in the middle of the yeah. ocean. Uh, he was very, very lucky because many people that were in his place, um, I mean, that just didn't happen to him. So how much did the 
power of prayer and God come into it, leave that up to your own beliefs. But uh, he was a seminary student. He was out there. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was wonderful to be able to see that and, and to be, just be a part of it, participate. Yes, yes, indeed. You know, there's a joke in there someplace about the seminary student who gets stuck out in the ocean. And anyway, they're, they're, <laughs> um, but but I wanted to get back to to your writing and the process that you use because I was talking with somebody the other day, and they actually, when they're building their um, outline, they're actually building three dimensional characters that have a past, have got a future, have got, do, do you use that in any of your work at all? Is that, is that a thing really? You know, it is a thing for a lot of people and it takes a, you know, and, and you absolutely should know the character inside and out, but it's so damn much work, you know, yeah. to get to know every character and to get to create a character that's completely three-dimensional and you fully understand them. So do I do it? I cheat a lot, you know. Uh, so <laughs> it's just it's hard, you know, to sit there and really understand every character and, you know, their motivation and past and future, as you pointed out. And, um, uh, you know, so I, I use a lot of myself. I use a lot of, you know, the people that I have known and I have met, you know, and, and, and that has helped me out a lot. Uh, but the, the right way is absolutely get to know the character, to create characters that are, that are colorful, three-dimensional, and let them tell you the story. Let them take it, you know, where it needs to take it. So there's a proper way to do it, and then there is a my way to do it, and I kind of go with the other one. Well, you know, you followed the rules for 44 years, so you're entitled to take a few shortcuts now. Because <laughs> I know in your previous, I drove a bus for 12 years, and and th there's no room for uh, doing it your own way. You, you can get in trouble doing that, so... Um, so that's, that's great. By the way, and now you've also got, as I understand it, a second book that is in process. Where are we with that book? Yeah, there's multiples of book. Uh, Silent Voices is the one that's the, the other one that's coming out right now. And, uh, it's, it's a book about, uh, it's nothing to do with aviation. Uh, it will be out in the next, you know, 60 to 90 days. Uh, it's about two sisters. One is born and raised in, in America. And uh, uh, the other one is, is born and raised in Afghanistan uh, through an accident that occurred when she was born. And uh, the book takes place about 30 days before the American pullout in July of 21. Uh, the younger one who was born and raised in Afghanistan has no clue why she has blonde hair and blue eyes and fair skin. It's a curse that has been, uh, you know, that has followed her all her life because, you know, everyone was, was attracted to her, all the wrong sort of people. And these two sisters learn about each other one month before this happens. And so the book takes place over there, and the older one has to go there and try and find her in the in the you know all the mayhem and the insanity that uh, you know that that was happening at the at, at that time. It, it is a fast-paced thriller. It is very much uh, you know fact-oriented with events that occurred on the ground during that period of time. And uh, you know it brings in you know the the poppy fields and the opium and the warlords. You know, and uh, the sheer terror, you know, of of the American pullout, of the entire NATO pullout, and and such a fast-paced, you know, uh, uh, event the way it occurred. Uh, so it's a fun story. That sounds like a movie to me. Um, that's what they're saying about highway, which incidentally is being shopped around as we speak. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. 
well hopefully this will be your first and then your second movie um and stuff so uh, now are you uh, if you were to sell highwire uh into to become a movie would you do the screenplay or would they hire somebody to do that do you think you know it depends i've done some screenplays but just depends on on the deal um the uh, falling you know is a tj newman is an author flight attendant that did it um and, and she, there was a lot of demand and i think she uh, is is writing a screenplay as well so it's just in the negotiations and what happens uh you know I take one thing at a time. First things first. Let's see if we can get it, get it to that point, and then then we'll see what happens. Well, you're in a great place to get that to happen in California, eh? So you know that's because Hollywood is right there. I don't know if you know that, but there's a <laughs> place called Hollywood. It's right there, and that's where all the films get made. Or a lot of them. It's another reason why you won't see me in moving to moving to Washington. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. A lot going on here. Vancouver, BC is a budding movie community as well. So, um, another God is another beautiful place. You guys live in, in a gorgeous place. Uh, you know, that, that whole corner of the, of the planet is, is so beautiful. Among all the places that I've gone to, it's, it's really, truly is one of the most beautiful out there. Could you do me a favor and keep that under your hat? And hey, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Cut this portion out. <laughs> don't tell anybody that this is God's country because in my world, I've lived here 65 years and this is, I wouldn't live anywhere else. Um, now, I'll take that back. I would live in Southern California if I could have a job that was within shouting distance of where I lived and stuff and could and could afford the cost of living. But it's beautiful down there. And uh, um, but I, the West Coast, you know, in the middle of the country, they call us the east or the left coast. Did you know that? Yeah, I've heard that, yes. <laughs> the left coast of America. Yes, yeah. you're living over there in the left coast where all them liberal people are. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I work for a company in Arkansas, and they, and they do, gave that to me all the time. You live in Seattle? Isn't it just a bunch of, you know, liberal snotheads that live there? So, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say snotheads on the radio, but that's all right. Um, in any event, we're talking with Cam Majdan, and he's the author of Highwire, and it's a it's a thriller, and it's an award winner, and uh, he's got another book that's going to be coming out, and is that going to be a, in wide release in the next uh, a couple three weeks or a month? Uh, yeah, a few months actually. Uh, yes, it is, and uh, you know we'll see how it does. I'm looking forward to it. It's been in the works for some time, and. Um, it's a pretty good story. And again, most of it just based on reality, but of course, you know, fiction about the sisters. Now, how long has Highwire been out now? Well, the original version of Highwire came out about 20 years ago, a little more, 22 years ago. Oh, wow. And the book itself was bought by uh, Bantam Dell, you know, now a portion of Random House. And, uh, you know, the, the galleys, the portion of the book where they sell, you know, the to the bookstores, the galleys were scheduled to be sold, to be going into bookstores on the week of 9-11. So uh, the book itself is an aviation thriller. It takes place in New York. On the cover, we have a 767 in a bank angle with the words, faster than the speed of terror. And these book, this book was being sold, you know, while those, those buildings were on fire to, you know, bookstores. And of course, needless to say that that uh, you know that that took a that caused it to take a hit. First printing in the U.S. alone was going to be two hundred forty-four thousand copies, um, yeah. which was 
back then was, it was a pretty big number, you know, for a first time author. And um, of course that did not happen, uh, but it still went to a second printing. And, you know, like I said, the nominations and the awards and so on. Uh, so it's, it's been a lot of fun uh, to do that. That's the original version, but now I've taken it out. I've completely updated it with today's standards. Uh, uh, most of it still applies exactly as it was, the fly-by-wire system, the technology, you know, the computers, uh, you know, so, but, but it's up to date with, you know, today's information. So pretty interesting still, I think. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Because yeah, I, I just can't imagine a, um, a, a, a book like Highwire on 9-11. People would say, I don't think I want to read that today. Uh, but that's but I'm glad it's 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 doing well and you redone it and you've got the new one coming out and uh, it's uh, great 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 that you're here and I really appreciate you coming to talk to me. I would I, I would ask you at this point is there anything that you that we haven't covered that you would like to tell our audience right now? No, if you want to write, if it's your dream to write, do it because if I can do it, literally anybody can do it. You know, yeah, and then. Wouldn't sell yourself short like that. I, I, I've tried. I, God knows I've tried, and it doesn't work for me. Well, come visit me on camize.com. Drop me a note. A lot of people are doing that. And, um, you know, and then it's camize.com for the website, and then camize books for all the other, uh, you know, Instagram, et cetera, uh, all the other social media stuff. Come visit. Say hello. Well, you know, you could become maybe a coach and be a writing coach and, and teach people how to write. Right after I finish uh, teaching how to fly. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you do you ever fly anymore? Do you have a private plane, or do you have access to one that you get up and about ever? I don't trust anything with less than sixteen wheels. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, so no, the, you know, I, I did that. I did all of that uh, for you know tens of thousands of hours, uh, and so no, I. You know, where do you go from a triple seven captain? You know, a little airplane and go and try and look over your shoulder, see if anybody's coming over. Uh, you know, I think I think that ship sailed. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Well, thank you so much for coming here. Go to his website again, which is cammodge.com, and um, get all the information and stuff like that. It'd be great fun. It's been fun having you here. I've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for doing it. Same here. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me and. Uh, Big hello to your audience, and thanks again. Yes. Hello, audience. See, I just did that for you. Just <laughs> for you. I, I, want to, <laughs> I want to remind everybody that on Friday, we've got a really good show. Sisters J is coming. They are two award-winning uh, early 20-something singers, and they're sisters, and they are just remarkable human beings, and they've got a whole entourage of people, including a producer who worked with Whitney Houston and James Taylor and a bunch of folks uh, producing their works over time. So uh, his name is uh, Ted uh, Perlman and, and he'll be on the show on Friday and that's at noon. And then we have three o'clock as well on Kixie. So don't forget that again. Thank you everybody for listening to positive talk radio on behalf of cam. I wish everybody to take care of each other. And because of each other's all we've got, we'll see you Friday at noon.